Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 610 with a review of The Five Bloods. I'm Christopher Schnazy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a streaming platform near you. And uh, yeah, streaming platform near you. I mean, this is uh, Spike Lee's latest film. Uh, the last time you watched one of Spike Lee's films, Stephen, it was at the premiere of the film at Cannes, correct? Yes. So now this week, you had to watch this at home uh, in your quarantine apartment. Um, how was that sort of different watching experience for you? Um, it was exactly the same, actually. <laughs> I assume you still put on a tux. Oh, of course. Yeah. But in general, I've still tried to learn in quarantine how to watch a movie with the same feeling that I would have if I were in any theater, let alone in a premiere. And it, it's difficult, not because I'm like looking at my phone or anything, just like the the vibe makes it harder to not take it seriously, but like it, it just doesn't feel quite as much like a movie going experience to me if I'm not in a theater. So I thought about that a lot actually watching this movie because a Black Klansman premiere can and Spike was also going to be the uh, head of the jury at Cannes this year too. So mm -hmm. like he was going to be all over two weeks of my life. And instead, all I was getting was this kind of Netflix experience where buffering issues came up a few times and oh, it did no. that thing where it, <laughs> it didn't pause, but it went into the low resolution version, which is yeah. like, I had to just pause the movie and wait because I can't stand when it does that. So definitely different, different for a lot of reasons. I also think we'll get into it. I think tonally the movie is has similarities to Black Klansman, but also has a number of differences that I I don't know exactly how this would have played at Cannes, just tonally speaking. So that that's a kind of interesting thought experiment is what yeah. would this have been like in a prestige film festival setting. But overall, I don't know. I still, any Spike Lee movie, I feel it's easy to want to give it attention. He definitely has a way of hooking you and you know he is going to show you exactly what he wants to show you like he he is a very intentional filmmaker that you kind of you get what he's doing and you just have to kind of like let him do his thing so yeah yeah in this particular case i don't know that not being at a film festival changed the experience all that much for me but i was still bummed well what about you did you feel bad about not being a ken <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still once again felt bad about not being a can. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I've definitely been doing my best to watch any film that I'm going to take seriously on a projector connected through speakers. Um, like, so I'm, I'm trying mm -hmm. to mimic as close to the reality of going to the theater as possible. Um, you know, with the difference being that, like, you know, you have blankets and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do and, you even and, hire someone to sit a little bit in front of you and text the whole time yeah. just so you can get that the full experience? I have an automation on my phone that just looks like somebody texting. I just set it in the corner of the room just to the side of my eye. And I play recordings of people's chair squeaking and popcorn crunches and stuff like that. Um, and, I, yeah. and I make popcorn that I don't eat so I can just smell the popcorn that other people are eating. Um, but no, I, I, I think that <laughs> I think that definitely helps. But it does mean that you have to wait till the sun goes down to to have those experiences because um yeah um you know even with a half decent projector you're still it's you need 
there to not be external light sources other than the projector. So you have to like close off the room, let the sun be down and watch it. Um, for things like the King of Staten Island, um, I watch those kind of things on my iPad during the day, um, just so that I can like yeah. throw on some headphones and kind of experience that. But like a big, a big movie type movie, I really want to try my best, project it up on a wall, um, play it through some speakers and get that exterior, um, kind of feel. So that's what I did for this. And I think it, I think it was, it was a good, it was a good experience. I mean, it, it's, I don't know how it'll work for Tenet if I'm lucky enough to even be able to see that. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, I think it worked for the experience of watching this film. Yep. Nice. Cool. Um, well, Stephen, what do you say we get into this review of The Five Bloods? Let's do it. All right. We're going to take a listen to the trailer and then we're going to come back and give you all a review. Black GI. Is it fair? To serve more than the white Americans that sent you here. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. means knowing exactly who I am in business with. All right, so that was the trailer for The Five Bloods, um, his latest film from Spike Lee, and it basically follows four men who are um, vets of Vietnam, and they are returning back to Vietnam to search for the remains of the fifth member of their group um, who didn't make it out and uh, maybe something else along the way as well. Um, and uh, yeah, Stephen, what did you think of the five bloods? So I'll start by saying this is my first time seeing a trailer for this movie. I didn't know anything. I basically just knew 
Five Bloods, Spike Lee movie. I'm in. I, you know, I, I don't need to see anymore. Um, and I think that helped with this movie because I had no idea what the tone was going to be. And if you just watch the movie linearly without any clue of what is going to happen, the the tonal whiplash is extra jarring in a way that I found <laughs> interesting. Um so I'll start by saying this is a very, very didactic movie, which is kind of typical of Spike Lee, especially lately. And I feel like the timing is kind of sadly perfect for some of the themes this movie is wrestling with. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a parable about capitalism and about the U.S. just fucking up everything, particularly fucking up the world for oppressed peoples and people of color. Um, in this case... It continues to do so years after the original war. You know, there are friendships that are still strained. There are people that are still plagued by things. Money may or may not cause people to behave in ways that are not beneficial to each other. Um, there's a quote that I really liked kind of early in this movie that is, it, it is meant literally when it's said, but I feel like it's kind of a thesis of the film, which is, there are landmines that were planted years ago still waiting to explode. And I feel like that's kind of the the idea that he's wrestling with here is the these the five bloods, people who were black in America at a time when the civil rights movement was still underway. Like they had not yet gotten many of their rights. You can argue there still is huge disparity in the country even now, as we're seeing with the Black Lives Matters protests and everything else going on. Um, but at this time, especially in the heat of all that being asked to fight and kill other people who are also fighting for rights that you yourself don't even have yet, what that would do to you. And like any parable, different characters kind of represent different things, right? You have the Otis, played by Clark Peters, uh, Lester Freeman in The Wire. I'm going to have to name all The Wire people for the next few <laughs> movies because I'm in the middle of rewatching The Wire and I cannot not see people that way. He is kind of the the wizened older man who seems like he has he's mellowed with age. He's learned what is important to him and what is not. And he kind of seems like a bit of the, the leader for the group. In the other extreme, you have Paul played by Delroy Lindo, who wears a make America great hat, which is just an amazing image to see in this movie, uh, a black Vietnam veteran walking through the forest, wearing a MAGA hat. Um, and he has kind of decided the things that happened to us showed me that, you can't rely on anyone. You have to look out for yourself. And I am going to live in a way that benefits and protects me, right? I'm not I'm not going to be fooled into trying to serve anything greater than myself because anything greater than myself before has been a crock of shit, basically. Yeah. Um, and so I think the ideas there are not subtle at all, but I, I don't go to Spike for subtlety, at least not like nowadays. And I feel like, when he is touching on that territory, he really delivers in a way that I liked a lot. Like, I think about Black Klansman when we talked about it is for most of the runtime, that movie plays as a kind of fun genre flick. Like, you know, it it's dealing with black, like with with uh, clans people with uh, white supremacists and it is tough subject matter. But the the Ku Klux Klan are 
idiots, right? Yeah. Idiots who show up in this movie as well, um, playing <laughs> different characters. You're meant to laugh at them, and it's kind of meant to be a goofy buddy cop comedy until the moments it decides not to be, right? The moments when it just indulges in a, a speech from Brother Kwame where they the camera just lingers for like five minutes while he rails about injustice in the U.S. or cuts to documentary footage, things like that. And this movie is the same way where for a lot of the runtime, it plays almost like a Wild Hogs type movie, right? Like we're getting all these older actors together to go on location in some new place and kind of riff with each other. But then occasionally it's going to be a homage to Vietnam War movies and occasionally it's going to be very serious and occasionally it's going to have documentary footage showing people getting shot in the head, right? The the juxtaposition of light and heavy material is really unique. And I think there are moments in this movie when it is super effective. Uh, I think my favorite bits were one involves a radio host named Hanoi Hanna, who does a show giving propaganda like pro North Vietnam propaganda meant for black troops serving in the U S military, basically saying, why are you fighting us? Look at what your own people are doing. That felt straight out of like peak Tarantino. That was just such a cool moment that also had a point. And then the other is a long tracking shot with the character of Paul that we get very late in this movie where he basically does the spikely monologue of I'm going to look directly in the camera and tell you everything that I'm feeling. Um, yeah. Those to me are the movie at its best. The problem is there's a lot of this movie that is not doing that. Then, And maybe that is necessary to keep the kind of tonal roller coaster that he's trying to go on. But there are, there are bits here that just felt like they were killing time without getting anywhere and, and part of that i think is that the there are five bloods four living and one dead but not all of them really get that much screen time there's the character paul with the maga hat who i feel like takes up maybe 80 percent of the oxygen in the movie he is kind of the one who is talking most of the time yeah otis gets a little bit eddie and melvin you I don't feel like you really get to know them at all. They kind of just seem like side characters who happen to be in this group. And then you pile on more people on top of that, right? You have Jonathan Majors uh, from uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. He shows up in this movie. You have a, uh, a Vietnamese character who plays a pretty major role, especially later in this film. You have significant others from the past. You have people that they've met that will unite with them along the trail. You have flashbacks to the past where we are viewing a different story that they did at the time that motivated them. And it, it feels like a little bit too much to hold together at the same time. And I don't think it always holds together. There are some scenes in this movie where they are digging, but let's say they're digging for remains (laughs) and other things. And it feels like it just goes on and on and on. Like it feels like it doesn't always know what to do with all of these characters. And I, I sometimes had trouble with that tonal whiplash, not of the light film to serious film, but the film that is just killing time to a film that has an urgent message. That was not always easy for me to, to follow. And 
I, I don't know. It, it makes the powerful scenes more powerful, I think, because you're not expecting them. But there's a, a good chunk of this movie that I feel like could have been trimmed and you would have had a much tighter, more interesting story. Like, kill at least three of the side plots of this film. And I think you would convey the same message in a in a tighter time window and it would be more memorable. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, like, there are things that I like. There are lots of mashups here. Like, the film basically opens on location it isn't the opening but it's very close to it where first you're seeing apocalypse now like the movie poster the logo and then it zooms out and there's a dj and a giant budweiser logo and then it zooms out more and there's this like awesome tracking shot of these four (laughs) old dudes just dancing their way (laughs) through a club and it and, and it's not a realistic glove dance either because it's obviously yeah. the crowd is filling in behind them as they move because nobody can dance through the camera, but it just has this swagger and this joy uh, that is so... And coming off of the previous three minutes or whatever it is at the beginning to go straight from that um, into just boom, entirely fun, ridiculous moment uh, was, was pretty... It, it is jarring, but it, it's jarring in yeah. like a, a good way. Yeah, yeah, and that really set the scene and made me very excited for what Spike was doing. And like I, I was mostly still pretty happy with it, but I do feel like it it loses the wind in its sails for kind of long stretches at a time. And even though I think it there are peak moments, especially toward the end, that I think justify what he was doing, it just it felt a little unfocused to me. Like it when it's doing that let me throw a few references at you and make you feel uncomfortable. It, it's awesome. But it, it's the other bits that I had, I had trouble getting into. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love this movie. I, I thought this, this was, was great. Um, uh, I mean, you, you have go- said a lot and gone through a lot of different chunks of this film. Um, so without trying to overlap too much stuff, I will say that like, Obviously, what Spike Lee is so great at is taking things that other films would have as subtext and makes them context <laughs> and puts them like right yeah. up in your face and just makes you deal with them. Um, like, like, like we were just joking, like going from that opening shot to like watching this thing there, there is you, you could edit out all the serious subject matter and just make it like you said, like a wild hogs or whatever, whatever the film was that you're referencing you could have this just be old buddy guys going through um the hillside in vietnam and you would totally watch that movie right like that would be fun and interesting but you also have this really really serious very very compelling story of these men who made it out of vietnam are carrying all the baggage um, with where that's left them in so many years later and they've all sort of just packed it down a little bit and kind of tried to keep it i mean Paul is doing less of a good job of packing it down. Um, (laughs) It seems like everyone else has sort of come to peace with it. um, And he's sort of just barely keeping it together. And then you're putting them in a situation where even though Vietnam has changed so much since they've been back and, you know, they reminisce on, on like, Oh my God, like this wasn't here. And like, look at this, this is so wild over here. And like, okay, this looks like what I remember now. Um, And seeing them sort of come there with this, joy and sort of it's 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 the gang getting back together but they're getting back together from a horrible moment in all of their lives and as you watch that trajectory of the facade start to fall down and and their 
personalities break down and their their motivations for what they're doing start to break down and you kind of just see the reality of the experience um for them it, it's it's just really compelling like you know you mentioned to um those two great scenes um that like the the talking to directly to the camera um the radio program with the propaganda i'd also like to throw in there there's a moment where paul uh goes into a little bit of PTSD. Um, I thought that was a really, really, uh, um, really, really like strong, impactful moment where like, this is on a boat. Yeah. yeah, On a, on a boat. Um, so you're, you're watching, you're watching these characters just sitting there going through this little market and how that suddenly spins out of control for them. And I think that so much of this film is about you getting little bits of pieces about the history of what brought all these guys to this moment and their motivations behind it. And I really, really loved just like flashing back and seeing all this, those things. And I, we've all, we've all seen, you know, Rambo and other things and, and all seen Vietnam stories where people talk about, um, you know, being in a war uh, for reasons they don't understand and kind of being tricked into being there. But, but I, I have never consumed sort of a story which focuses so much on what was happening back home. Um, and and, think, and I, I just thought that everything that the story was doing was making sure there was weight in little moments that didn't, that wouldn't have had weight in other films. Um, the, I mean, the elephant in the room that none of us has mentioned yet, which I assume you were going to mention at some point is triple frontier. Like, mm-hmm this film technically is the same story or plot as triple frontier but that film is like yeah we're military guys who just want to shoot stuff and what if we got money since we can't shoot stuff anymore and this is about people who like actually have thoughts outside of just all i know is war these are people who went through a bunch of other shit and it changed them. And now they're sort of dealing with that. And like, they're going through the same beats as like what triple frontier is doing, but like this entire film has weight throughout it. Um, one of the things that is kind of interesting is these, these slowdown moments that you talked about where you were saying that like spending all this time digging on the Hill seem like just padding. Um, I, I kind of, I found those scenes incredibly intense specifically because of other things right uh which i assume sure yeah so there there is that thing that you're just waiting to happen yeah so there is there is a there is a dread that comes about from just having people move through these hillsides and try to dig in random spots and i think because of that um that sort of aspect to this world that we're in i was like on the edge of my seat anytime they were just like killing time because these parts of Vietnam are dangerous places, right? <laughs> and, I, and I think that I never felt a, a moment of sort of downtime in the film because there was always something hanging over the head of all the characters or of just the environment as a whole. Um, and I just thought that was like masterfully done. Um, I, for me, if there's one little nitpick I had to pick for this film, it's that I don't think Spike Lee is maybe the best at uh, combat. Uh, like he, I, I just, the, the scenes of like people just like shaking their guns and yelling, ah, like didn't, it didn't really sell me on it. It, it wasn't the best like combat footage that I've seen in a film. Right. It's like anytime, like the shit was hitting the fan in the flashbacks of, you know, the initial scene of the helicopter 
um, going into the war zone, like that, that sort of let me down a little bit just cause it didn't have like the oomph of some of like more modern, like war movies that we watch. Um, you know, what was not 1917? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but that's like a very minor nitpick because that's not what this film was about that this film was. Yeah. And, and to me, that part didn't really matter because so another elephant in the room that we haven't talked about at all is the decision to flashback to a time 50 years earlier and use the same actors without really doing very much at all to make them look younger. Yeah. Um, and that combined with the, the style of, as you said, the not totally realistic combat made those memories feel more like they are homaging Vietnam war movies. Right. And, and the, the non-reality of it didn't bother me at all because it felt like this is how they are perceiving or remembering this. Like it's just one more kind of pop culture reference that he's playing with. And that was totally fine for me. The only time it really mattered was there are some pretty brilliant moments with Chadwick Boseman back then. So he plays Norman there, the fifth blood um, yeah. they're going back to uncover the remains of. And there are a few like really intense powerful moments with him and then occasionally the camera would cut to the others and the again it's the juxtaposition of like really serious moving moment non-serious execution around them that only rarely did it get to me but sometimes it, it sometimes it did yeah and, and i think what he did which was smart is in all those flashbacks flashbacks uh Chadwick Boseman is the main face you're saying the whole time. Right. So when you see the the other character, like he l looks the youngest of all, of the five plus. Yeah. Um. And and uh, when you see them in the flashbacks, it's not sitting on their face for a long time where you can see that they're older. It's just you see them run right, and they're they're running in a way where it's not like it's not supposed to be like the T one thousand running like a young agile man it's people like ducking behind rocks and things like that where you know yeah. it, it's you know it's also not like uh uh sam jackson in uh captain marvel yeah um but yeah it's not it's not like him running through a hallway where it's just an upright man who can't run very well um it, it, it so so that stuff worked for me and i think it was smart to like focus on the youngest person in the group um and kind of keep him the focus as the other characters move about him yeah yeah, I I agree with that. I think he did what he could. It was it was again, it was only very rarely that the the playfulness shut up against the seriousness in a way that I didn't fully get. But when it works, this movie worked so well on yeah. me. Like again, the the scenes that I referenced are probably among my favorites of the year so far, um, because it is doing that Spike Lee thing of just hitting you with it directly. You know there. There are so many moments in this movie where characters will pause to just explain a thing about American history. You know, there's a, a detour to talk about the Revolutionary War and who was the first person to die for the country. And there were detours to talk about, you know, famous military people and famous black athletes. And it every time that happens, you could just feel it. it, it has that kind of energy that aliveness that a spike lee movie has where it is like absolutely made right now and 
a lot of movies don't do that, right? They try to play coy with you and like hide their meaning behind some kind of symbol. And he's like, I'm just going to tell you things that I think the audience needs to know. Yeah. Um, that especially got pretty moving for me towards the end of this movie where different characters, it, to your point about Triple Frontier, this has the Triple Frontier moment of what will characters do in the aftermath? I, I won't say more than that. And some of their choices and the way the movie just lets you watch the ramifications of that and enjoy it as a kind of like communal thing. It, yeah. I, I thought that was really cool, especially in the current past few weeks. Like I know this movie was made, edited, finished long before the killing of George Floyd, but it, some bits of this film felt so perfectly attuned to the moment. I almost had to wonder, like, did Spike go back and highlight this a little bit more? Yeah. And yeah, that's just the kind of thing that a lot of other movies won't do. It, it's just, it, it's interesting because the Spike Lee movie, he wants to frustrate me and I'm trying to <laughs> grapple with when is that frustration a valuable um learning experience and when is it just wishing he would rein it in a little bit more and i I can't put my finger on it there's something about paul there there are the big explosions that he has that we've talked about and those are fantastic like i'm i'm completely with you about the boat scene and the reverse tracking shot there are other moments though where he's just teetering where i just feel like it it overwhelms the rest of the movie like there's a scene there are two bits involving a rope that happen right after each other. One of which amazing love, love that part. <laughs> the next thing he chooses to do with that rope. I, I, it just kind of felt very left field that no one is stopping what is going on and the yeah. exact tone that all the characters strike it. it like it, it felt like it didn't always care about having a through line in terms of where the different characters are at with respect to the events that are going on yeah um, i i wonder actually if some of those shots to the towards the end were sort of pared down um because specifically with one of those uses for those ropes it would go scene to scene like people are standing and talking the ropes in use cut to them walking the rope is not in use no anymore rope. and then yeah. cut to them later on and it is again maybe like it, it definitely felt like maybe some stuff was chopped out there or moved around a bit or something yeah like that i was a little weirded out by that whole the the lamb group as a whole mm -hmm. was sort of just like it didn't yeah, that, that was one of those subplots that i could have had get removed and lose pretty much nothing from yeah. the from the story <laughs> especially considering yeah, I, they like There's one thing that they are really good at, and they don't use that at all in this movie, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Like, I feel like... Yeah, which I think is intentional. I, I just don't... It gets back to, like, I just don't know why, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that he is trying to frustrate me <laughs> a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there was so much to love, even just about the the details that I don't think are his invention. They're probably the reality of visiting Vietnam right now. Like the fact that everyone calls it the American war over there, such a little thing I had just never thought of before. I, I've read multiple books, like fiction books about modern day Vietnam. So I'm sure I've absorbed it, but the, the feeling of seeing like veterans go back and toast to the American war and the, 
the conversations, there's one in particular where a character talks about uh, Ho Chi Minh, like Uncle Uncle Ho, I think they would call him, or Uncle Minh. I forget which which part of the name they use in Vietnam. Um, and he's comparing them to George Washington and uh, Otis, I think, the character Clark Peters says, like, no, it's not like George Washington. Like, George Washington is not our uncle. He owned, like, 150 slaves. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's not only saying we are very similar, you know, like many post-war movies would be, like, the two sides actually have more in common than they had differences, and this is the nature of war. But this movie is straight up saying, like, no, you guys, like... America is worse than what you were doing by a long shot. Yeah. And I think that there's a brazenness to that that I really liked because it is not played as being shocking. It's played as just the assumption. Like, of course, you know, only this one one dude in the MAGA hat might disagree and everyone else is making fun of him for it. And another scene that I just found great, like just the, the three other bloods kind of dunking on him for yeah, wearing yeah. the hat. It, <laughs> it was the kind of thing that, again, like only a Spike movie could get away with that, like overt a conversation about Donald Trump and supporters and the different reasons people would want to do it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So back, back in for one second too. Um, j- just as you, you, you were bringing up just seeing vets go back to Vietnam and see how they experience their, their, their time there. One of the things that was really interesting to me is how everyone starts off cordial. And even though they're all holding this history in the back of their mind, they're able to like put that down for a second and go like, okay, let's just interact civilly. But if there's ever a breakdown, whether it be communication or like just a simple misunderstanding about certain things or something that one person disrespects it immediately erupts and those things that have been held on the back like in the back of your mind come to the forefront and the assumption is now that like this is a problem because of this history when before it was just people hanging out in a resort and suddenly it becomes no this is the the whole history suddenly suddenly forced into the forefront of this interaction um and i really like that sort of because it starts with these guys just like buddy buddy hanging out in town and then like everywhere they go there is something that makes it realize that like oh yeah they probably shouldn't be here right now um yeah well and and that's the thing about not having seen the trailer is i truly could have believed that the whole movie was just going to be them walking and talking like yeah. I, I was i was fully prepared for that to happen and then maybe there would be flashbacks to their time in the war it's, so, it's the trip to vietnam <laughs> exactly yeah so so anytime this movie went off the rails, which I think at this point, I'm not spoiling anything. We've kind of talked around it enough. Like th- this movie goes places like th- it does some genre things in the present day, not only in the past tense. And that was always just such a jolt to the system because of all the movies this could have been. Um, yeah, I just I still feel like I love Jonathan Majors. Like I, I really like him as an actor. I like what he's doing here, too. I think you could lose him along with the Lamb characters and have a pretty much strictly better story, um, like focus more on the Bloods. Because th- there are two of the Bloods, like Eddie, who is the one that at the beginning is like busting out his Amex card to treat everybody. I feel like I don't know anything about that character yeah. at all. Like he, he's an you integral a part little bit of later. their crew. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, you find out at a very opportune moment. Um yeah. But there's just, 
he gets such a short shrift. Uh, Melvin Clay Davis in The Wire um, is is another one who he's there. I don't feel like we get to learn much about who he is, what the war means to him. It and there's no reason for that. Like this could be a tight group where we see each of them and their response. And instead, it kind of felt like the movie went for quantity over quality when it came to those relationship dynamics but don't, and, don't, don't you yeah, feel li- something about that it just felt like a little lacking to me don't you feel a little bit like part of why melvin has that is strictly because he feels kind of like the tag along like he's he he wants the group to be back together because mm-hmm. like I, I don't know whether he doesn't have anything else outside of that or it is it is he, he feels very much like he is the support role for everybody yeah. he doesn't necessarily have his own drive he just kind of like wants to be there and get the guys back together and do this like thing to go find the remains of their friend but he's he he has less skin in the game like he's not specifically trying to push forward some agenda he's just there for the journey with these people to to relive time with them right um so i yeah. feel like the the ones who who are kind of like kept further back from the main story arcs are the ones that have um uh less skin in in the game i guess like they're they're ones who are there to help us understand the other characters more through their interactions with them um but yeah i mean if everybody got equal time this would be like a five-hour movie (laughs) no definitely yeah that's why i would i would have preferred that he pare it down so he could keep this runtime and just explore the characters he had a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then again, you know, he's kind of maximalist and that that's cool too. <laughs> like I, I still dig it. Um, there were a few details that I had a lot of fun with in this movie. Um, one is in, and maybe this was my imagination. I didn't rewind it to catch it again, but a, typical unfortunate trope in hollywood at least in horror movies but in lots of types of movies is the black character dies first like that like they tend to be the ones that kind of get knocked off so the white hero can be seen there's the the shot of them going down in a helicopter back in vietnam and if i'm not mistaken it starts as a crew that is basically like 50-50 white soldiers and black soldiers and all the white soldiers just get killed <laughs> over and over and over again. And I felt like that was intentional, like turn, turning the tables a little bit on that uh, on that old trope. I also, there, there were a lot of movie references in this that I, I quite enjoyed. Um, Apocalypse Now is definitely all throughout this movie, like yeah. the the flight of the Valkyries, you know, you've got a helicopter coming up over the sun. Um, I would say the character of Paul is very much a Colonel Kurtz type character in like the things that happened to him over the course of the movie. Um, you have a pretty shoehorned in treasure of Sierra Madre reference to badges <laughs> that, that happens. That, that one was so weird. Like, I was like, why is this happening right now? Yeah, that, that felt more like just an acknowledgement of the plot of this movie being similar to that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I liked also the shifting aspect ratios in this movie. It, it's mostly done to denote past versus present. But then there are other ones too. Like there's a, a video camera that a character is wielding and that will make the aspect change. And then there's also one moment that you talked about on the boat where if I'm not mistaken, the aspect changes to make it 
remind you that the person is kind of going back into the past in in that moment. It sometimes that would be distracting to me, but I thought it was kind of cool in 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 this movie. Yeah. No. I. I. Yeah. I. I uh, sometimes that shifting aspect ratio. It, some films I just don't notice it at all. I usually will notice when it's a little too flashy. Uh, given the context in this film, it didn't bother me um, at all. But I definitely felt, I definitely felt the changes. But I, it was, it was useful for the context of what we were watching. Yeah, cool. Um, any last thoughts, Stephen? Um, just that this had kind of all the classic spike moves. You know, you had the. It took a while for the dolly shot to come, but it did come. The, the use of the dolly shot was like, well, I got to throw it in somewhere. I have no <laughs> idea what that scene's supposed to mean. <laughs> yeah, you've got the uh, the characters directly addressing the camera, like that one that I would argue is like one of the better scenes of the movie, the year so far. Oh, it was so, so good. So good. So good. And, and really extended too. And just, ha- you know, that that visceral like... It's something that you only get when a character is staring at the camera telling you how they feel. Um, yeah. There's a scene involving the radio DJ and Martin Luther King where you have the faces fading in and out while that is being described, which Black Klansmen did that as well. Um, you know, when you've got a style, you run with it. And I think it, it worked here. Cool. Um, well, that is going to bring us to our verdicts. Uh, Stephen Miller, if you're going to give us a must-see, recommend the caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, I'm giving it a recommend with a caveat. Uh, the caveat being the things that I said. I do think, as much as I like the tone shifting that Spike Lee does, there were bits here that really kind of pushed the limit for me. I think uh, Delroy Lindo's performance is so much bigger than the other performances in the movie. It has a tendency to maybe overwhelm some of the characters in a way that I didn't always like. And some of the choices, the the lightness just didn't always work for me. Um, But most of the time it did. And so for the most part, this is still a pretty strong recommend. I think this is doing that bombastic, jarring thing that Spike Lee is so great at. This is like the the last 10 minutes of Black Klansman, if you just made a movie that is doing that alternating back and forth between tones for the whole runtime, that is kind of what this movie is going for, I think, where there's like, it's a ha- it's it's happy, it's triumphant, it's serious, it's dark, it's foreshadowing, it's documentary, and just the the cutting back and forth felt really effective especially now i think like this is not a time for a subtle movie and i'm glad that spike decides to just put his cards on the table uh, so yeah definitely worth seeing like a worthy entry into into his catalog i just think it it doesn't quite reach the heights of some of his more tighter tighter movies yeah and in a in a seemingly rare uh case for the spoiler warning podcast i am going to rate a film higher than what steven rates it oh yeah um, i'm gonna give this a must see uh yeah i i really enjoyed this film I, I you know lots of films can can do interesting things and then apply motivations for characters that are impactful but i think that this film most of this film is just the motivations of the characters and you're watching how those motivations cause them to behave in the scenarios that they get into. So 
just the simple journey of going to find the remains of a friend um, lost in war is is one little tiny piece of what this film is doing. And I just found myself uh, drawn in from scene to scene at how each character relives their journey um, and all the little reveals you have. Not every reveal is impactful on its own or brings something to this story that changes the story, but just having it adds a little bit of extra um, like symbolism and, and meaning behind just little moments that those characters will have moving forward in the film. And I think that just all of that really, really worked for me um, and led to like a complete experience that, that just had me like going, yeah, by the end of this film. <laughs> nice. Cool. I've remembered one more thing real quickly that I've, I, I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just going to toss it out. The Viet Cong, Cong describing a poem that their wife had written such a great little subversive mo- I don't know if you remember the the scene that I'm talking about. I'm not remembering. We can talk about it offline. There, yeah, yeah. there are a few moments in in the flashbacks where Spike is really playing hard with the I am going to show you my characters gunning down um the Viet Cong soldiers and I'm going to remind you again and again that this is an atrocity. And yeah. I I just thought that was uh yeah, that was that was good stuff. Cool. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of our review of The Five Bloods. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? People can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash warning, facebook.com slash warning, or instagram.com slash warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Defy Bloods, so hopefully you're enjoying that. And uh, yeah, we have one more review this weekend. Um, that'll be a review of The King of Staten Island. Um, so look forward to that. <laughs> and uh, we are going to go take off and record that for you. And uh, we'll see you in the next review. Bye. Bye.